since day one, we wanted the voice and tone of Natalis to be like your older sister who just so happened to be a doctor. The reason why we wanted that is because just based in all of our experiences, all of the, the co-founders on the team, we'd had various experiences in our reproductive health journeys, what we learned or not learned in sex ed. And we felt like, well, who tells you the real? Your big sister. She's going to tell you exactly how it is, but also she cares about you. So she's not going to like let you go down a bad path or, you know, let you be operating with any untruths or misinformation. And then we thought, well, if she was a doctor, she's she's really got the good. She's got the information for you. And so that was kind of the spirit of the brand and everything that we thought about from our website to, you know, our blog posts and our product copy, packaging, everything was really filtered through that lens. Does this read like a scientist wrote this? Or does this read like the girl who slept in the twin bed next to you wrote this? I'm Kim Chris, Director of SC Tech and Cybersecure SC at the South Carolina Council on Competitiveness. And I'm Joseph Nutter, co-founder of Design Sensory and PopViz. We're talking to some of the most interesting minds in the South. They're hands-on, they're driven, and they're sharing their notes on business and creativity, entrepreneurship and leadership, failure and growth, and so much more. I'm a firm believer in the power of storytelling to build a brand. Stories help us make sense of the world and each other. Stories help us understand ourselves, our origin, the villains and heroes in our lives, the challenges we've overcome and the goals we're working towards. It's no surprise then to me that at the heart of the Natalist brand is a story about family and the relationship between co-founders as well as the relationship between customers and the business. When we sat down with Vernita Brown and as she started to reveal her journey, the concept that a brand can simply be defined as a promise became all the more apparent. Let's listen now to her story, the story of Natalist, and learn about the success that can be achieved from keeping faithful to the promise of a brand. My name is Vernita Brown, and I am the Vice President of Operations for Natalist. Natalist is a women's reproductive health company focusing in the trying to conceive and pregnancy space. Natalist was technically founded in December of 2018, and our founding team really assembled January of 2019. We were acquired in October of 2021 by Everly Health which is an Austin-based company focusing in on home-based diagnostics. Everything from our instructions to how you engage on our website really has that spirit. And what we find is that our users 
are repeat customers. They're coming back time and time again. When you look at data about subscription drop-off, for example, our customers are doubling the average of the average number of months that people are on a subscription service. And so it, it's saying something about the personal touches that we're adding to our brand, about our customer service and the way that people can access us. Um, women are connecting with us on social media often, um, and we have someone that's always monitoring those direct messages. And so that spirit, I think, just continues of just like being accessible. We wanted to be a brand that, again, felt like you could call your big sister. And so like on our blog now, we have over 400 blog posts that are written specifically with this millennial woman in mind, knowing that she needs to be able to digest this. She needs to be able to read this on her phone in about a minute because after that she's <laughs> she's gonna be out of here, she's busy. So she needs the facts and she needs them quick and she needs them in her language. Everything that we do is filtered through that lens. Vernita was one of the first employees on the Natalist team. So let's look back at the early days and see where they got their start. The first year that Natalist was, you know, a true entity with team members being paid and trying to operate as professionals, the first, call it six months, were really research and development for us. You know, we were figuring out what we were gonna make, how we would make it, what manufacturing partners existed for us in that space. We were thinking about a product roadmap over the year, but we had also made a promise to our investors that we would launch before September of that year. And so that was what we were on the hook for, <laughs> was launching by September. So there were um, things that we had to do pretty quickly in the grand scheme of it. And we, we did those things. We really pushed hard those first like five, six months. And then in the two months, two, three months prior to our launch, we launched in August 27th, I believe was the date of 2019. We're kind of like getting ready, putting those finishing touches, getting fulfillment together. How would we fulfill these items? Doing end-to-end -end testing on like how the orders would come through and how would they go out to customers. So that was what that first call it eight, ish months were. And then the back half of that year was sort of a, a read and react to our customers. So we spent a lot of time in those first few months also doing our blog content because we wanted to be able to, to have some search engine optimization working in our favor and really important keywords. So we, we did that alongside with our product development. And so in that last for months, we were really saying like, are these things working? Are customers finding us through our blog? How many people are landing here? Is this idea that you can get this box of essentials to help you on your trying to conceive journey, is this landing with people or not? And is if it's not, why isn't it? Are people appreciating the personal touches that we're adding? Or is that, um, does that matter to people as much as we thought it did? <laughs> because those were the ideas that we sold the investors on were that it it does matter. We told them it does matter to the millennial woman to feel cared for in this experience. We told them that it did matter that these products would feel more like self-care products and less like medical products. And so in those first few months of being open, we were really trying to see if our hypotheses were true. At the same time, one of the things that we took away from that 
the first few months of being open was that the nature of our products still hit women in a way that they felt like they needed retail to legitimize the brand. So we realized pretty early on that like, yeah, there's people coming to our website and there's some curiosity building, but ultimately women are used to engaging with these products in a certain way. And there was something that we wanted to do in terms of a culture shift around fertility, particularly around the shame that women deal with when they don't know what's happening in their bodies or they're having trouble conceiving. But we weren't gonna do that overnight. So we needed to go where they were. And that was one of the key learnings from year one was we launched thinking we would be a completely online-based business. At the time, so many subscription services were doing really well. Like you have all of the food kits of the world that were just taking off and many other services that were becoming like these subscription-based services. So that was a hypothesis that we were like, of course, if you're trying to conceive, you're gonna wanna buy this box every month. But we, again, sort of quickly learned that we still needed to go where people were engaging with these products. So we started to very quickly stand up a retail strategy. Um, and thankfully through one of our investors got a good intro into Target and were able to pitch Target our brand and our buyer at the time really, really loved the idea. It really resonated with her. She hadn't seen anything new in her category in a really long time. So seeing something new that was hitting that millennial woman was so attractive to her. So she immediately got on board with the brand. And that's how we got started with Target going into 2020. That's right. Target, the seventh largest retailer in America in 2022. What did that mean to Natalist? Being picked up by Target was huge for us. So from day one, we knew we wanted to go into retail, but we didn't know how soon? We thought we would go into retail in like three or four, maybe five years. And Target was a big target for us. We thought this woman is shopping there. Absolutely she is. We knew that. We felt like even just with the founding team that we were that woman and we knew where we were shopping. So we're, we thought this is definitely where we want to go. Eventually, we thought we would gain a lot more speed online first and then down the road, go into retail. But again, what we learned was folks were really looking for these products to feel more legitimate because they have a, even though we, even though we softened them and we made them more user-friendly and we made them more beautiful, there's still a medical element there. And because of that, we believe women wanted to be able to see them in both spaces and really start to see it as a convenience to them. I can order this on Target.com, I could go into Target store, or I can order this on Natalist.com. So that's what our strategy was, was to really begin to meet them where they were. And shortly after getting into Target came offers of acquisition. Our first offer for acquisition came in 2020, in the phase one of COVID, I call it. <laughs> and it was... An okay offer, um, but as Hallie and I were really trying to stabilize the team, we didn't think that it was best for the team nor the brand at the time because we had just launched in retail 
And though we were in the middle of this pandemic, we thought it would be short lived at the time. And we were like, we've got so much potential and room to grow here. So we we declined that offer. But what I learned in that process of just the initial conversations was about some of the data that a potential acquirer would need, some of those things that they would call for early on in terms of like information they needed about our business to make sure that, you know, it was in fact something they wanted to buy. So that was like June of 2020 and we declined. And then fast forward to July of 2021, we are being courted by a couple of companies and it was exciting and overwhelming because number one, it's confidential. So Hallie and I couldn't tell anybody. (laughs) And so we have this big, huge thing happening behind the scenes that we're entertaining, we're preparing documents for, um, but we can't share out with the team yet because we have to keep focus. We have to keep the team driving to the goals that we set for 2021. And we don't want people to get distracted by something that actually might not happen because in that courtship process, it's, it is like courting a spouse. You might marry them. You might not. And that was exactly the case. Like we were dating, we were dating (laughs) essentially a couple of companies and you kind of show up with this idea wow, they want us. This is great. This is going to be like really easy. But what it really is, is, you know, you have to sell your company all over again. It's just like with investors, except, you know, the transaction is different. The end relationship ends up being a little bit different, but you have to sell yourself. So we had to sell our company again. Like, and when I say sell, I mean, we had to sort of say all the things that we were good at, what our customers were loving about us, share what our sales were, which were, you know, numbers we never shared before. Um, and all of this, of course, is under NDAs, but we we had to share those things. And it's really a vulnerable moment because all the things that you've held really close about your business, you have to begin opening up about and you have to begin being really transparent because on the other side of that, you know, they're giving you cash. They need to know what's under the hood. It was exciting. It was kind of overwhelming in those early days or in those days of the acquisition where we were being courted. But I think more than anything, it was really affirming to feel like we made something good enough to buy. You know, we made something that not just our customers were finding value in, but potential acquirers were seeing as a real value add to their um, portfolio and that they wanted to continue investing in this idea. So that was so affirming that what we what we sort of came out and said about the brand that women need this, that women deserve better health care, that women deserve better products, products that feel good to use, that meet them where they are, that that was resonating with people beyond our circle of friends. This podcast is part of Scribble, South Carolina's voice of innovation. We celebrate and support innovative activity across the state by connecting people to people. Visit ScribbleSC.com for exclusive interviews, tools, and resources. That's ScribbleSC.com.
I really love that Natalist has perfected their brand, right? They're taking people who are on a very personal, oftentimes even sometimes painful journey um, in their life of infertility or during childbearing years, you know, and making it something that feels way more caring um, and just curated. If you look at their website, the information that they have is, it's clear, it's concise, it's very targeted. And and that's the other thing, is they have clearly identified their market vertical, mm-hmm. right? Their customer is millennial women. And they know them well. Right, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they are creating an experience for millennial women who are thinking about childbearing um, or maybe are pregnant or want to be pregnant and and creating a source of authentic reliable information and products that help them during that that time of their life and i like here that we hear the term big sister a lot right it makes it feel safe it makes it feel loving in their brand and also the fact that they are creating that sense of caring throughout their organization and their whole brand being built around caring. It really extends into the experience for their employees and their consumers. You know, I love the fact that you you said the word love in that. It, uh, you know, as, as a brand expert, that's what I do. I've been doing it now for over 20 years. Um, it reminds me of a concept called love marks. And the idea is that, you know, brands are running out of juice and the idea is that they need to become more intimate. Um, and that, that intimacy is rooted in a, 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 a high dose of empathy and understanding of who your audience is. And it's really about loving your customer and wanting to be there for them uh, as opposed to just transacting. And uh, I think, you know, when we look back on all of the people we've interviewed so far and all of the, quote, brands that we've, we've seen, um, Nailist for sure is a top three with respect to the care they've taken with creating their, their brand and their branding. You said curated that, but even more so just leading with that as the value proposition, first and foremost. They, they provide something emotional. Um, and, and I think that that's why they're so successful. According to Vernita, here's something every brand can learn from Natalist. I have two things I would say. One is be your brand, be your brand, be the company that you set out to be. I think a lot of times folks kind of feel like they have to sort of like sell out in some ways or or change what they're doing or be exactly like the incumbents. And the truth of the matter is, at least where Target was concerned, they were looking for something new. And actually, now that we've had the opportunity to go into different retailers, that's what we continue to hear is they want something fresh. They want something new. They've been dealing with these other companies for many, many years and and nothing bad on other companies. They all were innovators at some point, but I think, you know, what happens is you kind of stay in it (laughs) for so long and you get kind of stale. And especially when you think about women's reproductive health, I think we know that these companies typically are run by boards of, you know, 50, 60, 70 year old white men. So they are not the best people (laughs) to speak 
to women's reproductive health. And I think that in general, being exactly who your brand is is important because the whole point of innovation is solving a problem that people have. And being like those people and meeting those people's needs, that's what's really important. The diversity of thought, because there's, there's hardly any product that you would engage in where the community of consumers is monolithic. And so I think just like not being afraid to be exactly who you are and your brand and, and bringing diverse voices into the space. The second thing that I would say to, to founders or anybody who's thinking about and, and looking to get into the retail space, just do some homework. There are a lot of requirements that retailers have coming into the space that can be quite intimidating for a brand that's new and young and has never done it before. And with Natalist, we were learning, we still are learning everything day by day of like, you know, this retailer just sent me this document and it's all in acronyms. What is this? Um, so I, to that, I'll say like, in terms of doing homework, Google is your best friend and don't be afraid of it. But also if you get the opportunity and you have the, the financing, I would say bring on someone who knows retail. I think it'll make your life a lot easier. If, if you feel like you're really picking up steam and you are moving in that direction pretty seriously, it, I think would go a really long way to have an expertise in that field. What we did with Natalist is we were operating mostly off of generalists because we wanted folks who could do a lot of different things and we wanted to stay small and lean. But with hindsight being 2020, that's probably one of the first hires that I would have made realizing that we were going into retail was to bring in somebody who actually knew the space. But it's not just a brand image that Vernita and company iterated and innovated upon. It's the core product line as well. One of the things that we really wanted to change in the space or that we were kind of pushing up against when you think about some of the leading competitors in pregnancy tests and ovulation tests and things of that nature. One, the products tend to be pretty gendered that were on the market before us. And meaning you're either gonna get a pink or a blue, gonna get a pink line. Um, and that was something that just from a user perspective, we were thinking, Women, we, we did a survey and we found out something around 65% of women save their positive pregnancy tests. So if women are saving this, but at the time they don't know the gender of that child, they now have a pink stick or a white stick with a pink top that they're saving forever. And who knows, that child may end up identifying as, as a female or male or what have you. And it just, those things, there were small things like that that just were feeling like that felt very gendered. The other thing, um, was the actual feel of the product feeling very medical and somewhat clunky. And, and for us, we thought we can just streamline this. We can just make this like little neater, um, you know. And the third thing was coming from a position of infertility, which is something that most of the women on our founding team had some experience in personally. When you want to be pregnant and you are not, and you have a negative test that is in your trash can in your bathroom, and it is bright pink or bright blue and white, and it it's almost screams at you. It almost screams at you. You failed again. You are not pregnant again. And we thought that 
even just the small choice of making our pregnancy test gray and just muting that color was so honoring to the user experience because if they got a negative, they didn't have to see it screaming at them. And if they got a positive, it was a neutral color, something that they might even frame that can go in a, a kid's bedroom or in their bedroom that would blend into that space. So there were small things like that. There are small things like that, that we just think about how is the person at the end of this product lifecycle going to experience this that I think has really made the difference for our brand. Vernita and Natalist aim to carry all these learnings forward, but they already know what the core of their brand is, the consumer, and they don't plan to stop listening. When we think about innovating now, because we now have three years under our belt, that means we have three years of customers uh, that we can talk to, survey, who have also written product reviews, um, who have also reached out to us on either social media or via email. And I actually personally have gotten on the phone with customers to ask their opinions about things that we've done, things that we can refine or optimize. And just the act of doing that, I think grows so much affinity for the brand too, that I think has been amazing. And so when we think about innovating, we again are keeping the user center in their experience. Now we just have a much larger sample size of people that we can pull from and ask you know, in the in the early days, you know, there was five or six of us and we would all like text our friends. So we would be having a product meeting and then we would have a question and we would say, okay, let's pause this meeting. Everybody text five friends and ask them this question. <laughs> so, you know, we come back with 25 responses. We just did a quick survey and we've gotten more sophisticated than that, but our innovation still remains just centered around our users. And where is Natalist heading next? Our primary focus now that we've been acquired over the next six to 12 months is figuring out how we scale people's affinity for this brand. People who engage with us really like us, but it's not as easy for us as spinning out an online ad. Um, there's the personal touch, there's the story that comes with our brand that I think is, is really important. And you see brands like that, right? A lot of food brands like Siete and others that tell that personal story that like, yeah, we hooked you with this almond flour tortilla, but now we're gonna tell you about how we started this and our whole family. And then people are like, oh my God, I love that brand. So getting that story out there too, I think is important. And in our case, doing it in such a way that the story comes out, but yet the woman still knows it's about her. And there's a lot of times I think that people have asked me, you know, us about us going more in the baby category. And it's why don't you have more babies on your website? And why don't you have more babies on your social media? Because this is about the woman. We love babies. We all have babies on the Natalist team. We want to have more babies on the Natalist team. But at the end of the day, this company is built around that woman's experience. I'm Vernita Brown, and those were my notes on innovation. Thanks for listening to Of Note. I'm Joseph Nutter. And I'm Kim Christ. 
This is an original production by the South Carolina Department of Commerce and Design Sensory. Our producer and editor is Hunter Foster, with additional editing support from Cody Langford. Our sound engineer is Mike Deering, with original music by Matt Honkinen. Special thanks to Robin Hendricks and Danny Netherland. You can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram at ScribbleSC. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure to subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.